right, everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Aaron. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your host. Hi, Clayton. Hi, Aaron. How's it going? Good. <laughs> it's always hard because, full disclosure, we've been talking for about an hour. Yes. Before we started recording. So it's, I know really kind of intimately how you're doing at this stage. Yes. You know, you're reading through my poker face. Exactly. Like we're we we're talking about old coworkers. We're talking about you know vacations. We're talking about this and that, holiday plans. Mm-hmm. This week, so we're coming to the end of the Ravenel. So this is our this is the penultimate Ravenel, mm-hmm. and I think this is the end. Like there's after the next book, there's no more in the series. I think that's like the end of the series. Because normally Kleypas does a book a year, but she didn't do a 2022 book. Yes. So this one, Chasing Cassandra, which is number six Mm -hmm. in the Ravenels, came out in 2020. Now, Mm -hmm. did this come out before the pandemic? It came out February. Okay. Oh, so right before it. Yes. Okay. So like you could have bought this book in a store. But then you did not go back to a store <laughs> yeah. for months. Wow. I know. It's so funny. It's so weird how now 2020 or like March 2020, it's one of those, it's such like a before and after moment, mm-hmm. you know, where you always are like calculating now, like, okay, well, was that before or was that after? Sort of where were we feeling in the moment? It's it's hard to like think back to how we were feeling in March of 2020. Yeah. It's all you know. it's it was all about when Tom Hanks got it. That and that's mm-hmm. what's so hilarious is truly like uh, that is the moment where everybody stopped and was like this is serious. Yes. <laughs> and well it, it Tom Hanks and then I think that scared everybody. All, Rita Wilson also had it as well. But oh, then yeah, yeah. um the NBA shutting down. Yes. I feel like the NBA shutting down for me was like oh wow. Well, they that was the they heard about Tom moment. Hanks and they were like, "Oh, we got to shut everything down." Couldn't go on. We can't go Could on. Could not go. <laughs> we're all just too worried. We're all too worried. We need to just mm-hmm. chill out a little bit. Yeah. See how this falls into place. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Not Fair. to. I, I, it's it, we shouldn't be talking about this because it's like such a bummer. But it is. It is yeah. true. It's like yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You don't want to. It's okay to not want to talk about it. I think it's like it makes perfect sense too. Yeah. Um. But it's like how my uh, my great grandmother grew up in Belfast, and so she used to like walk by the Titanic being built. Mm -hmm. So we would always ask her about it. We'd be like, "What was the Titanic like? Like you saw it in person? Like that's kind of wild." And she would always just be like, "Uh, "It was like a big boat. It was really big." And we'd be like, "Yes." (laughs) She'd be like, everyone was uh, so surprised when it sank. Yeah. And we were like, okay, great. It's like she never really wanted to talk about it or add much to it. Like, I think at the time in Belfast, there was like a little bit of shame. I mean, now they've completely rebranded. But at the time, they were a little bit ashamed of it. And so that's how I feel like when you are this close to these like giant moments, you're almost like, I don't really want to go back to how I was feeling at that time. So we're going to go ahead and squash it. So I totally understand not wanting to talk about it. But this this book came into the world pre-pandemic. Yes. And yeah, so you usually say this, but do we want to judge this cover? Let's judge this cover. 
I mean, very Cinderella, obviously. Yes. I think something that we'll probably end up talking about when we talk about, like, the plot of the book is, like, Claypest's obsession with body image. <laughs> and Cassandra has talked about a lot as being, like, very curvy and very lush. Mm-hmm. And while this is a, a obviously inordinately beautiful woman. Yes. It's not the Cassandra that I see, like, body type-wise in the book. And that's the part that's, like, a little bit of a bummer because, obviously, I would always like to have a little bit more uh, re- uh, chubby representation yeah. <laughs> on novels. Um, but it is an absolutely gorgeous novel. She's barefoot, which is, I mean, this is basically that scene in The Winter Garden. Mm-hmm. Where she's uh, she dances barefoot. And yeah, so gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it is beautiful. I mean, stunning woman, long, mm-hmm. long flowing blonde hair, great dress, like you said. I agree with, and we can get into that the the body image stuff. And yeah, I agree. This is kind of like not. She's not curvy in this at no. all. In in this cover image at all. Yeah, and there's a woman. Bernadette Banner, who does, uh, she's on YouTube, and um, she's a fashion historian. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she takes romance novel covers, or she did a video where she took romance novel covers and, like, rebranded them, or, like, redid them with, like, age-appropriate dress. Yeah. Um, uh, Dresses appropriate to the age. And it was so fascinating, and I almost wish that somebody with more skills than I have <laughs> would take these novels and then, like, recreate the cover based on how the main heroine or hero are described. Yes. I think that would be so interesting. I think that would be so cool to do. If anyone out there has Photoshop skills and a platform and wants to do this, take this idea and run with it. Like, it's yours. It would be a great Tumblr page. Ooh. Yes. We got to bring back Tumblr. I think Tumblr is still a thing, maybe. Oh? It might be very underground. I don't know. I thought it went away when they, like, took off all the sex stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's... Which I think... Yeah, you would... That was a side of Tumblr I did not know existed. I was shocked by, so... Tumblr was filthy. Yeah? It was. Your Tumblr was. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think she, while she doesn't look like our Cassandra, she is, this is a gorgeous cover. It is a striking cover. Like it would make you stop and pick up the book. Absolutely. And also looks like a romance novel cover, which is always the goal as well. And I think the thing is that we kind of get away from sometimes because we've read the books in the judging mm-hmm. of the cover is exactly what you said is that. The moment you see this in the bookstore, it doesn't matter that that image doesn't represent the person in the book. You're galvanized by it, you know? Yes. And I think that's the big thing about judging the cover is that would you pick this up and want to read it? And looking at this, yes. But I mean, that has a lot to do with the name on the cover as well. Obviously, yeah. But also, I think it does a good job of kind of telegraphing what this book is about. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like it is about like a very like beautiful woman. There's a bit of mystery to it. There's a bit of a like a fairy tale ness. Um, 
So, yeah, I think it's a gorgeous cover. Great cover. Clayton, what was this book about? So this book was about Cassandra Ravenel, the last of the Ravenels to fall in mm-hmm. love. And Tom Severin, a, uh, a mag, he's a, um, uh, tra- what is it? Train, not train magnate. He's a, a railroad? railroad. That's what, that's where the trains go on the railroad. <laughs> a railroad magnate. A man we've met several times before in this series, but we really get to focus on him and we get to see his heart start to thaw. And Mm -hmm. so we've got those two and they're, you know, they're kind of like together and then apart a lot. They, Tom takes in Basil. Is it Basil or Basil? Mm -hmm. Basil. I think it's Baz. British people say Basil, Basil, but it's and Basil is a name. Basil because it's Razzle, we, like Razzle Dazzle. So it's Basil, right? What? Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, it's spelled like that. It's B A Z Z L E, right? Basil. Yeah, but then they change his name. Oh, they change the spelling of his name to B A S I L. Okay, so it's then that's ba- okay. They're really making it hard for me, but anyway, so. Uh, Tom starts to take a liking to this or urch uh, or like a um, urchin and Cassandra helps him with that. And then something bad happens to Cassandra. Tom swoops in to agree to marry her. And they have this great scene where like they're uh, coming up with the perfect agreement of what the marriage is going to be. And pretty much like, yeah, they just like, you know, slowly fall in love. Mm-hmm. So that's the big wide angle view. Excellent. Well done. What, um, what are your f- thoughts on this book? <clears throat> well, you know, Lisa always does this where she takes a character that could, could seem like a person you wouldn't want to root for. And you make you, and she makes you root for them. So Tom, a guy who only has five emotions and he's, you know, very logical. He's very matter mm-hmm. of fact, you know, he's very much like thinks a certain way and to see him become more emotional, understand people a little bit more, I think was really cool, especially through the use of reading and reading mm-hmm. fiction which is something that we've talked about previously in this podcast, is that like men don't read fiction. Yeah. And I think they're poorer for it. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. bashing men in this because men are supposed to know facts. Men are supposed to know, and this is of course the antiquated idea of what a man should be, but they're supposed to know how to fix things. They're supposed to know historical things. They're supposed to know matter of fact things. But reading fiction enables you to tap into emotions you maybe aren't able to access otherwise. Mm-hmm. The way movies can and music can in a way, I mean, music, I think more than movies, but like books truly, you really are sitting with it and internalizing it. So I do think that fiction is very important to read for your emotional growth. And I love that that was part of this book. That, that part of Tom's movement towards that was understanding why he should care about fictional characters. Now, Cassandra, 
I'll say. She was not my favorite. I mm-hmm. I liked her fine. I think they had a really good rapport. I mean, th- this is a really funny book. And I like what she did to, for Tom. I just, there was nothing really for me to hang my hat on with her. I mean, I did, her body image issues were something. I mean, I have body image issues, so obviously, like, I, it did, like, I kind of got where she was coming from in a lot of ways, but it did mm-hmm. seem like a total hang up here where in most of Lisa's stuff, it's just kind of like a quirk, you know? Yeah. But that's why I think I liked it because I liked Tom, but I just didn't, I didn't love it because Cassandra was like not my favorite heroine. Yeah, that's. I think Tom and having the device be, I remember when Pat and I started dating mm-hmm. and I told him like offhandedly about a documentary that I had seen and I liked. And then the next time I saw him, he was like, oh, I watched that documentary. Yeah. And then we talked about it. And I don't think there's a sexier thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, that's like, big. Yeah, the idea that somebody would be like, okay, I want to know you better, so I'm going to consume this media. And, like, obviously books are amazing. We don't have to tell you that. But, like, if if I recommended a book to somebody and they immediately read it, like, that's the high of that is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also as a way to, like, this is something you love, so I want to try to understand it as a way to understand you better. Which I think is what Tom does originally, where he's like, I really am. Because Tom is really attracted and into Cassandra pretty immediately. Yes. That he's like, I want to know more about this woman I've never read a novel, but if this is something she's really into, I want to see why she loves it. And and I don't think he's is doing that in a I think he's doing that subconsciously, mm-hmm. but I think it is still like she agrees to marry him when he said when he admits to her that he has started reading novels because of her suggestion. Yes. That's the thing that makes her realize, "Oh, I do think this could work." Yeah, because that could be, like you said, like a documentary. It could be anything. It could be any mm-hmm. thing where I am interested in knowing you better to take that leap. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that sounds like such a small thing, but so few people actually do it. Yes. And, I mean, I think that's why that scene where, like, she fi- she sees that he left the book behind is heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. then we later find out that he just didn't want to be reminded of her you know he didn't want her copy Mm -hmm. because he wanted to you know he was trying not to fall in love with her Mm -hmm. and so uh but he did actually read the book which i thought was great and i love that it is through books but it yeah it could be through anything yeah i think it's especially romantic through books because like you said there is that intimacy that happens with a book that i don't know that happens with other media I don't know if it's the time or it's like in reading a book, it's like you have to be in a quiet place Mm -hmm. and you have to be concentrating where I think obviously love music and I obviously I love film, but I think film can be more of a, like a group experience or music you can listen to while you're doing something else where I think like a book so absorbs all aspects of your attention that it becomes such an intimacy and I agree with you. It's so it's always baffling to me that more men don't read novels. One because it's like 
there are so many amazing novels out there. It just seems like, why wouldn't you want to enjoy this thing? Mm -hmm. But it, like you said, too, it it seems like for men, it's like, you know, oh, I read biographies or or I read um, business books or whatever. And it's like, I, I don't know. I think if you read a novel, it might help all aspects of your life a little bit more because of the way that a, a novel will become a part of your psyche. Yeah. And what is your, what is your, and this is going to sound like kind of like, uh, uh, you know, a diverging from the topic, but like, what mm. is your take on self-help books? Because I think we're so inundated with self-help books and they're so utterly useless in a way <laughs> that novels could absolutely take the place of self-help, but they're yeah. just not packaged in that, like, here's easy directions to this, right? I mean, we're so sold a bill of goods by these self-help books in that you, I think the way you learn things is through not directness like self-help books try mm-hmm. to be. It's through resonating with something and you coming upon it yourself, right? It's the whole thing mm-hmm. about like you won't, qu- you won't quit smoking until you want to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. It has to be something inside you. And I think that is what novels do. Novels bring things mm-hmm. out that are inside you. Yeah. I agree completely. And I think that's also reflected in the in this novel, <laughs> in that Tom kind of cannot figure out what the point of these books are. Mm-hmm. He keeps reading them. I think he's genuinely enjoying them. I mean, like, some authors more than others and stuff, which is all understandable. But I think that, like, he he isn't able to see the point of the books until he's able to get there himself emotionally. Yes. And then he can see like, oh, okay, I now understand. And I think it's the same with the novel. And that's also why you can read a novel multiple times at different points in your life and you get a completely different um, – you get something so completely different from it because you're – part of the reading experience is you showing up to the book. Mm-hmm. And it is that exchange. And as far as self-help books go, I mean, I've never read a self-help book that couldn't have been a long article. Yes. You know? It's so rare that there's a self-help book that I'm like, oh, no, we needed 200 pages of this. Normally, I'm like, okay, I think you could have got me this information much faster. I will say the only self-help book that I would like, I recommend to everybody, and I give to people, and I give to people like going through tough times, if I, like... Is the Bible, it's the one true book. It's the Bible, it's, yeah, yeah. The only self-help book you need. (laughs) Um, But it's, uh, I I would give it to anybody like going to college is Dear Sugar by Cheryl Strayed. Oh, okay, but that's more of like an advice column, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's a collection of her advice columns, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily self-help, although it will help yourself. Mm -hmm. But um, I agree. I think that, like, if, I think if more people read novels... And obviously, you know, reading a diverse amount of novels about uh, different subjects and about different people and written by different people and all over the world and different points in history, like that's, it It would really change things. Mm-hmm. And that's also why I so dislike when people um, kind of deride any novel. Because I think if it's something that you're connecting with, 
that's kind of all that matters. And I think that there's this thing that can happen around certain popular books that people are like, oh, no, it's bad that people are reading this. And I'm like, I don't know. I think anything that gets people reading and excited about reading is positive, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, because you always have to have an entree into stuff, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody starts reading, you know, Jack Reacher books, for an example, and then moves on to other stuff, that's not to denigrate Jack Reacher, which is great for what it is. But if it's mm-hmm. like, then it makes them want to get into different stuff, then that's great. Like, any entry point is good. I mean, it's the whole argument about Kate Bush on Stranger Things and how, oh, you're only into Kate Bush because you saw it on Stranger Things. But it's mm-hmm. like, well, at least they like Kate Bush, and then they're going to move on to something else and then on to something else. And that's, I mean, that's how everybody gets into stuff. You can't be like yeah. a... You can't be like a graduate level uh, expert on things right in the jump. You've got to discover mm-hmm. things. And if that's the way you discover something that's amazing, then that's great. We should be excited that somebody like Kate Bush is being, you know, uh, re, you know, uh, um, like discovered, rediscovered by like a yeah. younger generation. That's cool. That's, that's better than them not knowing about her right and i think i mean the reason that i think it's also front of mind is like you know with colleen hoover and i've never read colleen hoover not for any reason i just haven't had the chance to yet but it, she's like massively popular now and has like five books in the best uh, the new york times bestseller list and now there's all these like think pieces and people being like oh well these are the kind of books people should be reading because they're kind of like dark romance i guess but it's I I always find that so upsetting because it's like, you know, people read Lolita and they don't become pedophiles. Yeah, You know, people, somebody can read a dark romance and enjoy it, but also realize that this is not something to aspire to, you know? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the real difference between the thought process of people now and people when we grew up where, you know, an author now writing something from a perspective of a bad person means that that person the author Mm -hmm. is advocating for that as opposed to back in the day when it was like no they're just you know messing around they're just they're just putting themselves in the shoes of somebody that might not be somebody who does everything right and that no longer right, can expl- happen yeah. because if you're indulging in those mm-hmm. thoughts, that means you truly want to do those things. That's the interpretation. And that is patently false. We're creating a generation of yeah. people who are becoming like Tom Severin, <laughs> where it's like <laughs> everything that I, I am only what I am. Like I cannot mm-hmm. put myself in other people's positions. Mm-hmm. And if I put myself in other people's positions, it is to strengthen my position. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I and I think that is the thing about novels that it's great. It's because you can read a novel and have it be about somebody who is not somebody who would make the decisions you would make, not somebody who is necessarily somebody you would want to know in real life. Mm-hmm. But you still learn something. You still are putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think... That's something that's so important now, too, because I think there is this um, stratification that's happening where people just aren't able to sympathize with each other Mm -hmm. 
in this weird way. Uh, and I think it goes to like bigger, <laughs> yeah, obviously. bigger societal things that have happened and stuff. But I think it's, it, it is, I think the more people that read anything. And also I hate this idea where people are like, oh, I read, but I only read like important novels. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if that's what you enjoy, rock on. But it's so weird to be like, I only read things that are hard to read and I don't enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. As opposed to like, girl, I read books because I fucking love books. And, I, and I'm and i having the time of my life reading this book, even if it is just utter fluff. Which I don't think that they are, but it is like, mm, I want to have a good time. We're all going to be dead one day. Would you would rather read, you know, yeah. Lord of Scoundrels as opposed to A Tale of Two Cities or something? And in, I don't know. I just picked two books. And important books, they don't necessarily last the test of time. What is important in a certain time mm-hmm. doesn't always last. It it could be that something that was looked at as unimportant becomes important. So it's like you can't you can't let that dictate your reading. Also, I do think it's funny that we've spent, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes talking about how people should read novels on a podcast mm-hmm. where the audience <laughs> exclusively right. reads fiction and novels <laughs> almost. Like like they're the yeah. we are preaching to the choir in yeah, such a the way. They're the last people that need to hear any of this. They, yeah, that's true. But but I think um, the thing about mm-hmm. this conversation is like if anybody listening to this can take it take anything from it and and say to their significant other hey you know just read this book for me or whatever or like mm-hmm. what kind of things are you interested in let's find a let's go shopping and let's find a book that you would want to read mm-hmm. you know like i think there's something really great about that because the thing is also it's not that men are like fiction is stupid. I, I really, it's just, it's not a part of their like intake, like, you know, video games, comic book movies, whatever, you know, like nonfiction war books or whatever it is. It's like, they probably don't hang out with guys who read fiction. So like they need somebody outside of that to give them a nudge, Mm -hmm. you know? So ladies yeah. nudge your guys or guys nudge your ladies or people nudge the other person in your life and mm-hmm. get them to read a fiction novel and see what they how they feel about it. Yeah, definitely. I think Yeah, like you said we're preaching to the choir. But books are great guys. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> um That was going to be the initial make- name of our podcast was Books Are Great mm-hmm. with a backwards R. Like yeah. books are great. <laughs> Spelled like read like, what you want. Read what you want. Yeah. With a U. Yeah. yeah, I guess we do have to simplify things. We're full into the uh, uh we're we're full into the millennium uh the the millennial uh nostalgia or the two thousands nostalgia where everything was like a number and a letter. Yes, because we, because you, because got any youngins listening, we used to have to pay per character. Yeah. And we would pay per text. So you would try to put in as much as you could into a text. Gen Z. Because it would be like 10 cents. Um, The other point that you made about Cassandra, Cassandra is not my favorite romance heroine of all time. Mm-hmm. But there is something I think a little bit. Um, subversive about her that I really love because 
I think that there is this pervasive idea that in order for a heroine to be strong or interesting, they have to almost be like a little bit masculine and that Mm. they have to be somebody who is not interested in women things, who thinks everything is silly, who, who cannot fit into the social stratus, you know, strata, but which is fine. Obviously I love Garrett Gibson. I love, um, the woman from the suffragette scandal. Like, I love those women as well, but I do think there's also room for a woman like Cassandra who enjoys the social aspect of things. Mm -hmm. She likes being around her family. She likes being around people. She likes kind of these rules and kind of likes being able to navigate them, even though she doesn't always fall on the right side of them. Yeah. And she does have a very feminine strength to her that I love and that... It's a, she's led by love in a way. So like when she hears about Basil, she can't help but be overcome and understand like what it would mean for Tom to take in this boy, um, what it would mean for this boy. And that she kind of understands like, all right, well, I'm not going to be able to go out and save every orphan in London, but I can like through my love, take care of this one boy. Mm -hmm. And that's important to do. Um, and I love that she's just, like, into, like, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and these things that I think there's this uh, cultural, culturally, like, deriding these things that are normally the purview of women and, like, gay men in a way that I find it kind of grating. So I like that she is, like, unapologetically super feminine. And I think when you pair her with Tom who is not, like, a toxically masculine person at all, but is kind of, like, those more, like, traditionally masculine characteristics of just, like, numbers and no feelings and all these things that are, I guess (laughs) you're right, a little bit. Numbers plus no feelings equals men. Yeah. Well, it's, like, that is, like, a level of toxic masculinity. Then they are the perfect match in that way because she is able to bring out the feminine side of him. She's able to make him care about things and the people around her and growing a community and making sure that the people that surround them are well taken care of. And she goes into his, after they get married, she goes into their house and she talks to all of the people who work for him and are like, okay, well, how do we make your lives better? Like you need better soap. Like let's Mm -hmm. get you better soap. Like, you know, she takes that time to really connect with people in a way. And I love that about her. So I do, you know, She's not all overall, my, if I were to do a top five heroines, I don't know that she would make it in there, but I do th- like her for who she is, you know? And I, I do think she is an interesting heroine still. I love that perspective from you because mm-hmm. you, when we've had conversations about this, and I don't think I'm disclosing anything by saying this, but like you, I, I don't want to use the term girly girl, but you are a woman in the sense of, a womanly woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say womanly woman. But in the sense of like, yeah. I think what you're describing is kind of how you are, where like, you are not like a, you know, like a wilting flower or anything, but you are also not like a ball busting uh, guy's mm-hmm. girl, right? You can no. have power as a woman. And I think. I don't know how you feel about it, but one of the good things that's been happening recently is like people people figuring out that the whole girl boss shit was just a lie and it was all Mm -hmm. created to just put more people into 
a system where they could be exploited, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like now women are kind of realizing, oh, that shit about I have to be just like the boys and be in a soul-sucking corporate job was a lie. And I can be a Mm -hmm. woman and be strong. And that doesn't look like the, you know, wearing a three-piece suit or whatever, which could be if that's what you want to do. If that's what actualizes you, then do it. But Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be forced to do it to think like, I'm not being a feminist if I don't do this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's this idea that like, the way we get equality is for women to start acting like men. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an older thought. I don't think that's as pervasive as it once would it was, where I'm like, I don't know, maybe the way we gain equality is like allowing men to be a little bit more feminine, you know, yeah. and whatever that means and allow men to be able to like feel co- like feel okay, like taking care of their families in the way that they want to and allowing them to like express emotions and read novels and take time away. And exactly what you said, where I think the girl bossification was just like women act like coming into the workplace and be like, okay, so how can I subvert my femininity in order to to become more masculine and therefore be able to succeed in this arena that no human being should really be succeeding at because mm-hmm. it's not a arena that anybody actually su- succeeds at. I think you know, there's just different levels of, uh, you know, what people are trading in in order to be there. Yeah. And I think the pandemic had part of that, too, of people kind of stepping away. But uh, but I, like, somebody like Cassandra, who's as secure she is in her femininity in a way that she never apologizes for it. And she's never like, oh, I should be tougher. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not her journey, necessarily. Yeah. And also that the I love that the men in her life, like Devin and West and Gabriel, all recognize that Cassandra wants to be in love and wants to have a family. Mm-hmm. And they all protect and hold on to that dream for her. Yeah. In a way that when they feel like she's maybe going away from that dream, they're not like, you're not allowed, we forbid it. But they're like, really consider this. And I know this is what you want. And I want this for you, too. Are you going about it the right way? And then, But then they do listen to her when she says, no, this is what I want. They're like, if this is what you want, then we support you in this as well. Yeah. So in that way, you know, I think romance is talked about as being feminist. But I think this is like a deeply feminist novel without it being like, about a suffragette or something. But I think this is a, a novel about femininity. Wow. That, in a positive way. That really does put her in a different perspective for me. <laughs> Honestly, good. it does. Because I really kind mm-hmm. of was more focused on Tom and his, and how he was evolving, that I, I didn't really see her strength. But when you put it that way, mm-hmm. like, I, I definitely can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Um, I, it's interesting too. I mean, Claypes is obviously like a master of the genre. I think we've said that maybe a million times. Mm-hmm. Don't drink every time we say it because you will uh, have alcohol poisoning. Yes. But I think um, the other thing that she that is interesting is like the basil and having a rake or a scoundrel or somebody who's closed off emotionally have a child forced on them. It's not. A new concept in no. romance, right? Like we've we've seen that before in Lord of Scoundrels, kind of famously, which is a book we haven't read for the podcast, but we certainly need to. Um, 
but I do like the way that it is handled here as well. Um, with with Basil and Tom kind of softening in that way. And I think the moment when they come home from their honeymoon and Cassandra watches Tom interact with him and she looks at them and she's like, they love each other so deeply mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do not see it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I'm not always a giant fan of kids in in romance novels, but I think this is kind of an exception where I think the novel would be less if Basil hadn't come around. Yes, which it's hard for me to admit because I am, I am, I think, even a less big fan of kids in mm-hmm. romance, but I totally agree about uh, Basil. Yeah. And see, and, you know, her forcing Tom to kind of break the cycle of, because I guess Tom, Tom's backstory is like complicated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I ever really, like, landed into what his story was. But at some stage, he is abandoned by his father, and he goes to live with another family. Yeah. But they make him, like, sleep in the kitchen, and then he asks to court one of their daughters, and they, like, lose their – the father, like, loses his mind on him, and mm-hmm. that's kind of his galvanizing moment. But Yeah, bad dad. I mean, we can yeah. just say bad dad. Bad dad. Bad – I mean, bad biological dad, bad, like – the adopted dad, foster dad, mm-hmm. just kind of like a lot of bad dads. Cassandra also had a bad dad. Yes. Bad dads all around. Uh, bad dad. You get a I bad know. dad. You get a bad dad. You get a bad dad. <laughs> when is that reference ever? I think that reference is now, it's a reference that people won't get. No. You would have to explain what the Oprah Winfrey show was to culture. Mm. And it's been so long. God. But how- it was culture. It, it's so insane. It's so insane. That just mm-hmm. shows you how you could be a god and now you're just a mortal. You know? Yeah. It'll happen to Beyonce. Yeah. Someday someone is going to have to describe Beyonce to someone, which feels uh, impossible. Mm-hmm. But, you I, know, I mean, someone it, has it, to have, like, Aretha Franklin described to them now, exactly, you know? Exactly, yeah. Like, if people saw, yeah. like, when she she sang, like, the the national anthem before she died and she looked just not good. And Mm -hmm. if that was your first exposure to her, you would think, you know, if you're being cruel, like who is this, who is this woman? Like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then you just wouldn't have any context for like her amazing achievements and what, uh, yeah. What like a Titan she was. In the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s and even the 80s. You know? That's crazy. Mm. But, so, let's talk then, because you have a note here. And we touched upon yeah. it a little bit. But, like, Lisa's weird body stuff. Yeah. Do you want to extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah. I think Lisa Claypass is a woman of her time. Mm-hmm. You know? And every once in a while, there are things in her books about, like, body image in a way that it just feels like we're working out some of her stuff. And I think with Cassandra, there's some of that. Yeah. In that some people are telling Cassandra she's too big. She's gained, like, 14 pounds at a certain stage. Her clothes don't fit her. Obviously, Tom is always, like, obsessed with her anyway, and he says all the right things. I don't know, like, as somebody with, like, body dysmorphia, like, do you, 
or, you know, body image issues, do you, like, did it ring for you? Or is it just because I'm a woman that it kind of, like, stood out to me as, like, something that, like, wasn't that great? No, or? I absolutely saw it because mm-hmm. I – it's funny because, like, I used to be really guarded about that stuff. But I was, like, having a conversation with somebody at work about mm-hmm. it. It just came up in – like, it just came up in conversation and I just started talking about, you know, what, uh, you know, how I would like, you know, would limit what I ate and, you know, moralize eating certain things, which I still do because, you know, you've caught me on that before. Like, I still do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I still do it. But I I see that where where that can be something that, like, is very hard to get away from. And, you know, not to – we don't know a lot about Lisa, but she was – she did do beauty pageants. Yeah. And so that is definitely like, if you're talking about, you know, the society at large is always cruel to women when it comes to body image, but like those things are even more so. And she was a beauty queen in the nineties, I think. Yeah. So eighties or nineties, which were just evil times. Exactly. Yes. For women's bodies. Yeah. And there would be no escaping it for her. And the, there is not even where I am now, where I think is much better than mm-hmm. I used to be. There is not a day that goes by that I don't think about my weight or mm-hmm. like how I look in that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it's it's maybe it's not like all encompassing as it used to be, but there's not a day that goes by where I'm not like you know. L- turning or you know turning to the side in the mirror and being like ah oh, can i you know what's hanging over or whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's just become so normal to me but it's it mm-hmm. shouldn't be you know like the body is here to function and move us around and enable us to enjoy our life and feel pleasure and stuff it's not there to mm-hmm. be like judged like a you know, like someone's prized car, you know, like, is there a dent here or what, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. how it feels. And it's, it's not something external. It's, you know, and it's, I think I did resonate with that, with Cassandra is that like to have that be a fixation is just, it's not fun. No. And it is very, very hard to, uh, to, I almost said exercise. But it's hard to exercise from your brain. It's something that's hard to remove from your psyche. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it does get removed. Because I think as much work as I have done on that sort of thing, like, I still think those things too sometimes. And I think it's like, you know, we grew up in a very bizarre time as far as, like, the way that people spoke about bodies. And I think, obviously, it's changing. And that's for the better. Mm -hmm. And I think that fact that we can now read this book and, like, be like, ah, oh, that is interesting, or that is like, ah, oh, that's not that great. Yeah, you know, as opposed to it just being like, yeah, that's maybe Cassandra should lose weight. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, is yeah, and I think it would have been impossible for us to grow uh, uh, for us to grow up in the time that we did and not feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said too, I sometimes get bummed out when I think about the amount of time I spent thinking about body stuff where like it really doesn't matter yeah you know it is just a vehicle or a function or something that brings you around in the world 
Um, and that doesn't mean you don't take care of it. Yes. You know, but that also doesn't mean that you are obsessing about, you know, those things that like ultimately don't really matter. Well, it's about but. feeling good, not looking good, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that mm-hmm. if you feel like you have enough energy, if you feel like you are able to do the things you want to do physically, then that mm-hmm. should be enough, right? That is enough. Then that's it. That's the goal. Yeah. And you know? and and that does I do think that there's a level of like exercise feels good. It just does. I mean, like if people don't exercise and they don't want to exercise, that is their prerogative. But any sort of exercise, even if it's a walk, even if it's, you know, going to yoga, even if it is like, you know, doing like if you like to clean and cleaning is exercise, right? Like moving your body feels good. I think it's when it becomes an obsession Mm -hmm. to reach a goal that is very, very hard to reach. Mm -hmm. That's when it gets bad. And like athletes do that, Mm -hmm. but not everybody has to be an athlete. And I think that's another thing that's happened in society where it's like, if you're going to exercise, you got to go for it. And it's like, yeah, if you want to be like a high functioning athlete, but also most people just want to be able to get from here to there and not have their body Mm -hmm. break down. And I think that is the most important thing. Yes. And ultimately, like a lot of the things that athletes do or these actors, and I think like Channing Tatum has started talking about it too, that like to look like that is not healthy. No. And that's the thing that I think we really need to separate the way that somebody looks from health. Mm-hmm. Because if you're only, you know, whatever, you don't want to talk specifics about what people do in case that is like triggering for anybody. But I do think that it's like. Well, let's use exp- like people we know as ex- like examples. <laughs> let's name them and then just say like what they could do to like make their bodies better. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that specifically, but I'm saying the, well, these things of like, all I do is eat just like plain chicken breast. Yes. And, and it's like, okay. It's like one, where is the joy in that? Like there should be a level of joy in eating, but also like, that's not healthy. You can't tell me that that's a healthy way of being. And yeah, maybe so you'll walk into society and everyone will be like, oh, he's cut. He's so healthy. But it's like, he's not, you know. And also, what or else? Or it is. Or it, it, like, it depends on, like, what somebody's body is. Because, like, you know, we also, you know, I have friends who are also, like, very naturally thin. And that's just their body type. And mm-hmm. it is what it is. And then there are definitely people you see who are thin and it's a way that is not healthy. You can tell the difference, you know. And I don't I don't think that, you know, obviously it's it's not healthy the way that some people achieve these these bodies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, anyway, I think the, the idea of repairing a relationship with your body, I think, is going to be one that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. I think it's something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um. But it is interesting how pervasive body image issues or the way that we talk about bodies or the way that we um, interact with that. And, and with Lisa Claypest, that you can kind of tell, like, she's also working things out in this, yes. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so every once in a while, it kind of peaks up and you're like, uh, maybe she still has a little bit of work to do. But that's fine. And that's 
you know, the work will always continue. And like, I don't think she's doing anything irresponsible in this book no. at all. I mean, it's just a character no. trait that somebody has that resonates with us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I no, I do not think she's being irresponsible. And also like the 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 fact of the matter too is like Tom is obsessed with Cassandra's body and never for one moment is not turned on by it. Mm-hmm. And I also think the thing that's helpful now about society because I think before it's like there the culture was the culture and there was one way to be attractive and it was this weird unattainable thing. And I do think there's something to now having so many people's point of views that you realize like, oh, people find different things attractive. Yes, yes. You know, and whatever you're, you look like, there is multiple, there's a lot of people who find that a very attractive, you know. It wasn't just who is on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, right? That, beca- mm-hmm. that was such a like, what's beautiful this is. You know, who's on the cover of Vogue? This is Mm -hmm. like there's like you said, there's so many other avenues to to go down. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there would be like and that doesn't happen anymore for the most part. But there used to be like this is the body type that is in style, which Mm -hmm. is just like psychotic to think about because like. It's a body. Yes. Bodies aren't in style or not in style. They're bodies. Exactly. Like, it's so... The shit that people would say and do in the 90s and early 2000s is now incomprehensible. It's shocking. Yeah. You know? Um, but anyway, just to, like, divert into Lisa's weird... I don't know. Just to, like, make a note of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is there other stuff within the... I mean, it, I. it's a book that I really love. I think... Um, they create a marriage contract, which, you know, Catholics have to do this thing where they, like, go to a priest and this man who has never been married and never will be married tells them about marriage. Yes. Um, and I am a recovering Catholic, so I'm comfortable talking about it. But I think that if more people just spent one full day making out, but then also talking through every aspect of their marriage before they got married... I don't think that's a bad thing. Not bad. I think that's a very good thing. Yeah. Nope. Like, I think that should become the regular thing to do. Yes. Yeah, I love that scene. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, like, a compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. I mean, I mean. They are making out. I mean, this scene, like, one of, I do think this is one of the hottest scenes that Lisa's ever written when he's fingering her on the couch after she's been upset and then like Devin walks in and like mid orgasm, she has to try to talk to her cousin. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That was amazing. That was really great. Listen, Lisa, this is book. I don't know how many she's coming up with new stuff. Yes. Yes. That's why we're going to keep coming back. Absolutely. Well, so the big question, I mean, would you fuck them? Uh huh. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I would too. I would too. Definitely. I had a heart, like, I feel like I had a good idea what Cassandra looked like, gorgeous, but I feel like for Tom, I kept picturing Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> even though that is not, and then anytime they would, she would talk about, like, what Tom actually looked like, I was like, huh, not what I expected. Yeah, that's an odd one. Yeah, I did not have, I mm-hmm. had more of, like, a traditionally masculine man in mind. Yeah. You know. Tom Hiddleston. Very tall. He did hold a door open for me once, so he is a gent. Oh, there we go. When was that? 
I was going into the Crosby Hotel to meet somebody for drinks once, uh-huh. and he was coming out. And then he, like, I was walking towards the door, and he came out of it, and he let the door close. But then he, like, took two steps back and opened it again for me. Oh, that's and really I sweet. I walked under his arm, and I said, thank you. Oh, what a nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody raised him right. So mm-hmm. I pictured him as Tom Severin. Yeah. Um, should we do Goodreads list? Let's do it. For some reason, I this book to me, if you were like, when did it come out? I would have been like 10 years ago. <laughs> the way that I feel like it's been around or mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, has it been around that long? And therefore, it's not on a ton of lists. A lot of them are just like anticipated books list or like what women born in the 70s are reading now, which is always a strange list. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so one, brainy genius romantic heroes. Yeah, I mean, he's very smart. Self-made hero. Yes. Sweet and gentle alpha heroes. I would say. No, we don't love alpha heroes. But he is very sweet and gentle. Yeah. I mean, every time that he, when he bought a newspaper to try to save Cassandra's honor, and he said to her in front of her, all of her family, there is no limit to what I would do for you. Mm-hmm. Swoon. Lose it. Lose my mind. Bad boys meet the virgins. I accidentally put it twice. Yeah, but he's not a bad boy. I don't think he's a bad boy. And I don't even think that he's a villain. No. Oh. You know, because I think he was like trying to get those mineral rights from Devin, but it's like, yeah. It's all business. Yeah. And then I think once he realized, like he he could acknowledge that that was the wrong thing to do later. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I don't think that's a villain. Best character-driven historical romance. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was very character. This was mostly character driven. Like for the plot that happens, it's pretty thin, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel that way in the book. Like you're always moving towards something. Yeah. But I forgot how it ended, and for a second I was like, "Does Cassandra get kidnapped or something?" But she doesn't. You think that for all these uh, books? You said that last episode where you're like, "Does she get kidnapped?" <laughs> well, last episode she gets shot. Yeah. Right. No, the one before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last was Pandora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pandora gets shot. Books with close siblings. Oh, yeah. Best banter and romance. Yes, this was, it was great banter. Oh, yeah. The way that they spoke to each other. Tom, like, this is how you write a character with wit. Mm-hmm. He is witty and clever. Yeah, I love Tom for that. Uh, historical romance sex only after the wedding. Yeah. Books that should be made into movies. Well, of course. All Lisa Claypass should be made into I mean, we've talked about this before, but I do think that the Ravenels, I mean, listen, any Clay Pass book getting made into a movie, I'm really digging. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, these books are uniquely suited in that they all are like overlapping in this way that I think would lend itself really well to an adaptation because you would be able to hop around to different couples, mm-hmm. you know? Um, protective Heroes. Yes. Mismatched Eyes. Mm-hmm. Shotgun marriage, mm. no. That's a whole different. That's when somebody's knocked up. Yeah, she's not knocked up, and she's about to be ruined. But she's also like, I could just marry nobody, mm-hmm. and then I think she wants to marry him. Yeah. Sweetest heroine, she's very sweet. Yeah. Funny as hell. I agree. Yeah. Um. All right, Clayton. What are your tropes? Well, marriage contract. Mm-hmm. Um, heroine with body image issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, hero who is cold, 
uh, hero gets thawed. <laughs> street urchin. Mm-hmm. And tycoon hero because he's he's a magnate. He's a tycoon, basically. Yeah, he's so much more than just railroads. We realize he's richer than Winterborn. Yeah, by half. That's crazy. Um, what are your tropes, Aaron? So I have a neurodivergent hero, and I don't know that this has ever been talked about, or it has, and I just haven't seen it. But Tom is neurodivergent. Like, there's something going on there with him, with the way that he is so incredibly closed off, the way that he has a memory, like a photographic memory and all these things, like, something's up with him. Mm-hmm. Heroin on the shelf. She's not. She's in her second season. Everyone is treating her like she will never, ever get married. I know. She did turn down... Five proposals, which I'm like, girl, that is a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Like, you know, not saying anything about your character, but, you know, five five is a lot. Mm-hmm. Heroin is a twin. Yes. Are you going to say it? And twins. <laughs> ruined. She gets ruined. Oh, we didn't even talk about that, but she starts kind of dating this guy. Mm-hmm courting this guy who's a lord and he she tries to break it off with him and he takes her into a closet and assaults her yeah not and then fun he's it's a shitty i mean that whole thing is just awful yeah um and then tom comes in and saves the day she loved to see yes marriage contract yep uh villain hero which i take back i don't think he was a villain but i think he was somebody who was not he was like his morals were always kind of in question yes. in the other books. Well, he even yeah. says like he doesn't think of things as good or evil intrinsically. Yeah. You know. Right. And I think that there's something to capitalist thinking that it is just business when it is people's livelihoods in a way that it is a bit villainous. Yeah. Um, Working hero. He's a working class hero. He also works. Mm-hmm. Um, chubby heroine. I do think she's like plump the way that she's described, yeah. but like obviously, um, perfectly so. Hero is self made, interrupted mid makeout. Mm-hmm. That was great. Ruined heroine. I already did that one. Thawing a cold, cold heart. Yep. I can't love you. I mean, that's the whole thing is that Tom is like, I can never love you. I can give you everything else in the world. And, once you read that, you know that's going to be amazing yeah. when he finally realizes he loves her. Mm-hmm. Heartless heroes and orphans. We've already talked about that. Uh, heterochromia hero having two different colored eyes. Okay. And then scoundrel in sunshine. So she's sunshine. He's like a dark scoundrel. And he's not like grumpy. He's not grumpy. So it's not grumpy sunshine, but it's like devious man in sunshine. Mm-hmm. So those are my tropes. Nice. All right, Clayton, any final thoughts about Chasing Cassandra? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this discussion, definitely giving me a different perspective, mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, that's why it's great talking to you about these books uh, to get your perspective on them. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. All right. Um, so what has you swooning this week? Well, I'm swooning about a season, obviously <laughs> my favorite season of all seasons Mm -hmm. award season is coming up (laughs) and I just love it more than anything talking about Oscars talking about the much maligned and much hated by me and all people golden globes 
I love mm-hmm. when the awards movies start coming out and it's just the best time of the year. Also, it's fall, which I love fall, you know, mm-hmm. and football and award season. It's just what else can a guy ask for? So I, yeah. that's what I'm swooning about. That's a great one. I love award season too. All the award season movies, you know, Pat and I, we moved. You know, when we moved, we moved about 10 blocks away from a movie theater. So. Oh, yeah. A great I'm movie theater. I'm excited to see them all. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah. So, Aaron, what has you swooning? So, I am swooning about a series of romance novels um, that I devoured so quickly. It is called The Mating Habits of Scoundrels by Vivian Lorette. Vivian Lorette is a new-to-me author. Like, she's been writing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an ongoing series. So I think it's book six in the series is supposed to come out soon. I did request it on Nat Galley. No word yet, but I do remain faithful mm-hmm. um, and hopeful. And it is about these uh, this group of friends, which, you know, love a group of friends, who um, are all wallflowers, and they decide to write a book about – how to tell a scoundrel from a marriageable man. Of course, each of them end up falling in love with a different scoundrel. Of course. Uh, and marrying them. But it's it's such a fun series. Each of the characters is so unique and interesting and well done. And the heroes are all very, like, swoon-worthy and wonderful. They all explore different tropes. So, like, the first one is a road trip romance. The second one is, like, a big class difference. Mm -hmm. Um, The third one is... uh, Oh, it's, like, a ruined woman going to be... It's, like, a agrees to be this man's mistress. It's all... It's all fantastic. So um, if you're looking for a new series or if you haven't read Vivian Lorette before, I would highly, highly recommend her and highly, highly recommend her series, The Mating Habits of Scoundrels by Vivian Lorette. It starts with Lord Holt Takes a Bride. Um, And I would suggest reading them in order just because they're all so fun and they're all so good. And reading series in order is uh, always elite. Great. Yeah, that's my swing. Well, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always uh, find us on Instagram at Learning the Tropes, on Twitter at Learning Tropes. We have our Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troop. We also have our merch, which is linked below. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, We have a Patreon. Um, If you just go to patreon.com and search Learning the Tropes, you will find us there and then we have our email uh if you just want to email us your thoughts on anything you can email us at learning the tropes podcast at gmail.com great and until next time happy reading happy reading bye everybody bye